Welcome to Are You Afraid of the Stacks, where we talk about the spookier side of children's literature. My name is Sedina. I'm a children's services librarian at the Barbara Bush Branch in Cypress Creek. And my name is Jennifer. I am the Senior Adult Program Specialist at the High Meadows Branch Library, and we are both from branches of the Harris County Public Library System. In honor of Native American Heritage Month, we are talking about The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demoline. Cherie is a registered member of the Georgia Bay Metis Nation of Ontario. The Marrow Thieves was published in 2017 by Dancing Cat Books, an imprint of Cormorant Books Incorporated. The summary is as follows. In a futuristic world ravaged by global warming, people have lost the ability to dream, and the dreamlessness has led to widespread madness. The only people still able to dream are North America's indigenous, and it is in their marrow that holds the cure for the rest of the world. We focused so much on the main character and their survival that anytime it was brought up about the dreaming or the lack of, I always felt not jarred, but kind of suddenly reminded of what the actual horror was. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple different points which we'll talk about that to be insight horror a little bit, but the actual horror of the dreamlessness and what comes out of it was very jarring. And this is a YA book, so it was really hard to read because I was experiencing it as if a teen would and the types of questions that will come out of this novel and the types of discussions that will come out of it, which mm-hmm. just Right off the bat, this is a great book to read with your teen to discuss some really tough topics. Agreed. There was even one instance in the book where the new family of indigenous peoples, Cree, Ashinabi, and a few other mm-hmm. First Nations groups, and they would speak about the recruiters of the newly resurrected schools and what they were doing to harvest dreams because the only people who were still dreaming, at least in Canada, were the indigenous people. And the majority was taking the indigenous people and harvesting what they thought scientifically was producing the dreams. Mm -hmm. It was just very horrific when you would touch on it, which I appreciate that Cherie did not go into extreme detail. It was very nebulous in my mind. I appreciate it, especially as a young adult (laughs) title. But they were speaking around a fire one night and their family leader, Miguans, was saying that what the white people were doing was for survival because without dreams they were going mad they were losing sleep they Mm -hmm. were deteriorating in health and he said that they did horrendous and cruel things for survival and he asked the children of his group what would you do to ensure our survival that really really struck a chord because the kids were so introspective but they Mm -hmm. said anything and everything and i was like it was a really great talking point I actually wrote that down as well. I wrote down what he actually said. He said, do you think circumstances make people turn bad or that people make circumstances bad to begin with? And I wrote, I loved that argument of trying to understand the other side just because it kind of puts you a little bit in their footsteps. Even though, don't get me wrong, what they did was wrong, Mm -hmm. harvesting the marrow of these natives. But at the same time, it made me sit and think like, what would happen if I went months, years without a single dream, would I be doing the same thing, going insane? Mm -hmm. And would I be looking for an answer? And after they've already turned to modern medicine and they couldn't find an answer, they went to therapy. So I liked that playing devil's advocate you woke. So I was like, oh, oh, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) 
Yeah. So there was a part where the main character was trying to describe the gradual process to eventually being harvesters of bone marrow of the indigenous peoples. And he was saying that as things progressively got worse, that the majority came to them as if the New Agers had during the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. They asked about ceremony. They asked to join ceremony. They humbled themselves when they were rejected. But after it got bad enough and then they changed on us, how could they best appropriate make the ceremony better, more efficient, more economical. And that was when the science and technology and the cruelty came in. Yeah, it was so parallel to a lot of things you see, things that are happening today. Mm. And I think it's also good to have written it in a teen book because you do see the beginnings of this in high school, even in mid-grade. I think it's just something that when discussed properly with a teen and talked about and parallel to what's happening in your teens life, you can get some really great insight into what your teen is experiencing. It may not be as bad as this, but it still gives you that doorway into conversation. And I think one of the best doorways, there's so many, but (laughs) one of the best ones that I wrote down was the one that we actually had a small conversation about, but didn't Mm -hmm. touch too much on it. They called it story, which was the history of the Native people, how Mm -hmm. they got to be who they were in their origin story, but also after colonizers came and then, you know, reservations and then the global warming and they were indigenous versus colonizers again Mm -hmm. and Mig would not tell story to Riri who was the youngest of the group his reasoning was that she needed to learn how to be a functional human and experience childhood first before she could experience story in its entirety which was very fair but she overheard a conversation about someone else's origin story in the group and the dam was broken it was a very emotional moment for me because Mig decided that if he were to withhold story from her going forward, then her young mind could make up darker stories to fill in the gaps that she could feel rejection, that she could feel left out. She could feel not part of the family if she was not told story. Mm-hmm. And so he was honest with her about story. And it says in the book, Riri was quieter than usual, but she worked hard to process story in silence, not wanting to prove our theories of her being too young to know the whole truth. And I just thought back to how often that happens to us as children and how succinct this entire scene was and how perfect Cherie wrote it. Yeah, Riri really struck a chord with me. I thought of my own daughter and she said, I deserve to know my own history when they had cut story short at one point because Meg always cut it at the same stopping point. And it brings to to mind this need that I have to always be open and honest with my child, but also not wanting to give her, like it's not on her to have the burdens that I have as an adult. Mm. And so I walk that fine line of what do I tell her and how much do I tell her being open and honest and hiding some things because she's just too young to comprehend it. And when we were talking about in pre-production, you brought up a great point that she just hasn't formulated the mindset to take in everything because she hasn't lived a full life yet. She's still very young, single digits. So mm-hmm. it really struck a chord with me. I loved that even though Rio was still very young to hear those things, I felt that in the time of the book, she had to 
to know those things for her safety, for protection. But I think that in their situation, she had grown far beyond her years, which that happens, unfortunately, to a lot of kids. It really struck a chord with me, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was so much to take from this book. Even in just the first half, I got most of my quotes from the first half. And the end of the book was a little, it was nice, but it didn't feel complete. And it felt mm-hmm. a little melancholic, which I believe could be very intentional on Cherie's part, because the trials of the First Nations are a very melancholic issue, especially these days where truths come to light after years of denial and mm-hmm. gaslighting of entire generations. It's just been very devastating. I'm actually really happy that we read this instead of Arrow of Lightning. <laughs> Um, It was hard, but it was very good. One of my other favorite quotes from here was during story, he was explaining how First Nations fell to the colonizers initially. And it says, and then we were on our knees with fever and pukes. They decided they liked us there on our knees. And that's when they opened the first schools. And that hit me on many levels because it felt like a predator and an abuser. It had a lot of layers for that domineering colonizer justified. It was just, it was very good. Me too. I think Shrew was very intentional with the language that was used in the book to convey that imagery to both of us because the way that was written, like to me that it was so dark and there was so much darkness written into the book. There's so much darkness already learning about the First Nations and a lot of things that have happened to Indigenous people in Canada. We already know a lot about what happened to Indigenous people in America. So to hear it in Canada has just been a floodgate of information. It's also a revelation in that the same things that American colonizers are only recently being held under scrutiny again over what they did, to see that the same racism, cruelty, and even corporate greed or economic greed was also present in Canada, that there was no mm-hmm. borders in these lines that we have now meant nothing. No, no. Because <laughs> I mean, they even talk about in the book, America just kind of crossing over as well. So <laughs> as if there was no line. <laughs> yeah, they talk about the Cree of the North and the Cree of the Plains. First Nations had their own overlapping and larger boundaries that the colonizers just completely either abolished or rewrote. In fact, there was one line in here about the corporate, well, there were two actually that I I wrote down about corporate greed and how economic greed is placed over human safety or human interests. And one of them was, this is paraphrasing in response to the global warming, and where were the freshest lakes and the cleanest rivers? On our lands, of course. Too bad the country, Canada, was busy worrying about how we, the First Nations, didn't pay an extra tax on Levi's jeans and Kit Kat bars to listen to what we were shouting, which I just thought was <laughs> quintessential. To, it's just so relevant. <laughs> yeah. Very relevant, even now, because it's the thing. I don't have a lot of words except to say that this gave me a lot of chills because had I not known that this was a YA fiction book, I would have thought this was based on a true story, which it probably mm. is based on several true stories, right? Right. So it was really good. I want to talk about Frenchie a little bit. We begin with Frenchie and just some things that I kind of noticed as an immigrant myself. Frenchie is the last of his, as he knows it, to have survived the trek north. 
Um, mm-hmm. When we open up in the scene, he his brother has given himself up so that Frenchie can keep going and survive. And Frenchie is dealing with grief of losing all of his family members, being on his own, not knowing where to go and just trying to figure his way. And in a fit of rage, yells at some guinea pigs. <laughs> Immediately regrets it. But <laughs> I laughed because it was funny because he was yelling at guinea pigs, but it brought to mind that frustration you feel, especially I know I remember it as a teen and as a young adult, the frustration of not being heard, of not being allowed to voice opinions in the world, of not being able to do things for myself that I wanted to do for myself, but I just couldn't because of age Mm -hmm. and just kind of like letting it out. I mean, I would go in my room and scream into a pillow. He did not have that (laughs) convenience, so I get it. So I liked that part. I also, I really, really connected with Frenchie when Frenchie heard another word in a different language. Mm. Um, I think it was Nishan. I think Nishan means nice. So when Frenchie first heard that, it was like, how do I explain it? The at-home sensation of being amongst people who understood him, who understood where he came from, and then also the shame that was brought upon him. Because I know he felt shame for not having known that word. Mm -hmm. And as an immigrant... You know, you do everything in your power to assimilate to the country that you have immigrated to. And I can't speak my native language. I can understand it pretty well. And it's definitely not prevalent here. So there's no chance for me to practice it daily like I would Spanish because I use Spanish more. So I connected with Frenchie because I felt that shame that he felt when he first heard the word. And like he's repeating it over and over in his head. I know I do that a lot with a lot of native words to my own culture. And I love the way Cherie wrote about Frenchie because I think Frenchie can connect to any immigrants in any country. And I think that is so valuable in teen books, in any type of book, because Mm -hmm. it built so much empathy in me for a lot of indigenous cultures. And I feel like it would do that for anyone who read this. And I just wanted to say that about Frenchie because Frenchie really impacted me a lot. And I think that Cherie was well aware of that common occurrence in Mm -hmm. immigrant families, especially first, second generation immigrant families, Mm -hmm. where the desire to rapidly assimilate takes so much from you Mm -hmm. that the generations after have to like hoard every little piece of themselves that they can because they feel that loss. Mm -hmm. And so anytime he got to have those little pieces of his identity brought back to him, yes, he did have shame about losing it or not having been exposed to it. It made me imagine like little chipmunks, you know, putting everything in their little like cheeks and pouches and he just was going to hold it there and treasure it and hold on to it for as long as he could. Right. It made it that much more important to him. And then when they met up with the one crew that betrayed them and he thought they were just like him, I was, I felt so sad for him. And I was like, oh, Frenchie, I'm sorry. Cause it's like that sometimes. And the quote, not every Indian is an Indian rings so true in so many different ways because you could look at someone who looks exactly like you, but they're just not like you. Sometimes they will betray you. Sometimes you can build a bond so close to them that they're family. You just don't know. But that was a really, 
I just loved the way she wrote Frenchie. He was a great character. I definitely got frustrated with him sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that was probably just him being a teenager. So I thought he was a little stubborn in that Mm -hmm. way. But that was just me reacting as an adult to a teenager's innermost thoughts and ones that I didn't have myself as a teenager. So when I thought back on it, I was like, okay, no, that was actually pretty well done. And that bullheadedness of him was actually... And he got such great advice at the end. It was just beautiful. There were moments of such clarity and beauty in this story of desperate survival and made families, found families Mm -hmm. that need to hoard your identity because although it's the thing that may kill you, it is also the thing that you are and that you have pride in. And it was just beautiful. It was so poetic, so enchanting, yet dark at the same time. And I wasn't sure when we started reading it. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to read this. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so good. I did have to put it down a couple times, but I picked it right back up. It was a great read. It was one that I was so thankful that you recommended that we read and cover this month. I put it down a couple of times as well, but not out of probably the same reasons as you. I got mad at the corporate greed the Mm -hmm. times where the rehashing of the First Nations history during colonization was very frustrating because I think especially in our modern times, there's this kind of arrogance or misunderstanding that while America, within the boundaries that we currently have, has a cruel history, that the same cruel history existed elsewhere. And so sometimes when I hear Canadians speak of First Nations, like when they have presentations and things like Mm -hmm. that, They talk about the land they stand on and honoring the history of it. And it sounds so much more respectful for the little to nothing that we do here. Mm -hmm. That it's like, no, no, they also have a dark history and Mm -hmm. it should. Yeah, I appreciated the honesty. Right. I think that's what it was. The honesty of the very first page, the very last page that was eye-opening to me as someone who I'm from Canada. I was born there. I visited there many times. I still have family there, but I don't live there. So my knowledge of Canada is limited. And, you know, like many people, I've heard of lots of things in the news lately. Getting to read this and getting to kind of like do some more research and look up the First Nations of Canada was it was a must for me but it was really educational at the same time because I feel like if we're not reading and we're not learning about our history we're doomed to repeat it so it was a chance for me to educate myself and learn about other nations and about another country and how they're dealing with it because they're not dealing with it too well they are a little bit more respectful but you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're we're still not great. Everyone still has that history of Mm -hmm. colonization on these continents and no one did it better. It was all terrible. Right. Yeah. And I just appreciate Cherie for writing this. One of the things that when we were talking about this, I was looking for recommended reads, Mm -hmm. nonfiction books, but I wanted nonfiction books from Indigenous authors. And there aren't that many books written by Indigenous authors as far as nonfiction goes. And so, you know, if you're looking for something on First Nations peoples, especially those from Canada, ask your local librarian. I do have a couple young adult fiction recommendations for those that are interested. If you decide that you would like to read Marrow Thieves or you've read it and you thought this was totally up my alley, the other books that I would recommend would be 
The Killer of Enemies series by Joseph Bruchok, The Ghost Collector by Allison Mills, and Ilazzo by Darcy Little Badger. Those are some good recommendations, and some of them are already on my to-be-read list. (laughs) I have recently discovered Darcy Little Badger and am a big fan. Yeah, that one is on my list, (laughs) Darcy Little Badger. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't wait to read that one. We hope you enjoy it. Check out your local library, hcpl.net, for the books that we've recommended. And then we'll see you next month. Hope to see you guys for December. Bye. Bye. 